Gregory Clark. Yeah. Thank you so much My for being on this podcast. I came all the way out here because I couldn't help but want to take a second chance with you. Second time doing this because we did one. It was 17 years ago when I had success in Japan and I came to your office over there by the um, A&A Hotel. Is the name right behind mm-hmm. the A&A Hotel? Mm-hmm. And I went to your office there, and then that's when I found out how amazing your life has been. <laughs> so, so 17 years ago. So tell me, let's start again, because many people watching this podcast won't know, like where you're from. You know, um, tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where you were born? Sure. Yeah. Well, I was born in 1936. Okay. A long time ago in England. And uh, my parents uh, moved to Australia when I was very young. Mm-hmm. My father was an economist. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Australia, he liked Australia. And he bought a farm. He believed in the country life. Mm-hmm. And he also believed in big families. So big families and country life. They go together, but a lot of place to run around, put it that way. Right. But he ended up having a lot of children, of which I was the eldest. Okay. And eight boys. Eight, wait, a total were eight of you? Mm. And all boys? And then eventually one girl. So the last one was actually a girl? Yeah. And there's there eight of you or nine of you? Then? So there's nine, yeah. There's nine of you. My goodness, are all of your brother, all of your siblings still alive and doing well? Uh, a few of them have, con- have conked out. But they've conked out. Uh, yeah, they're all doing different things. Okay. They're all in different parts of the world. Oh, really? So they're not all in Australia? Oh, no. no. Okay. And uh, Australia's not the only place you, you can succeed, you know. That's for sure. <laughs> Did they succeed where they went? Oh, yeah. They were, well, they've, most of them have done well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and well, I'm one of them. I didn't. I, I did not stay in Australia right. uh, for reasons. But uh, so I brought up in Australia. Uh, went to university in England. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In those days, if you went to university in England, they regarded you as prime material for the diplomatic service. Meant that you didn't speak with a hundred percent Australian accent. I okay, guess. <laughs> meant that you had more of an English accent. <laughs> it helps <laughs> in the world of diplomacy, anyway. That's right. And uh, by I was I came in. I was very young, mm-hmm. too young, and um, so I had to wait around there for a couple of years before they get, I got a post. And then the opportunity came up to learn Chinese. They, they had not done anything since the war mm-hmm. about teaching, having people learn Chinese. And it turned out I was the only one who applied, so I got it. <laughs> in fact, I didn't want to go to China. I wanted to go to Europe. I had a girlfriend waiting for me in Europe. Okay. It's, uh, it's another story. All right. I wanted to go to Russia. Uh, so I even started to learn Russian, but mm-hmm. instead they said, no, no, go to China. So I had one year, uh, two years in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. uh, continuing learning Chinese. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, of course, that was the, the best thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. Uh, in those days, Chinese was not a big 
number, but uh, subsequently. That's right. So after a couple of years in Hong Kong learning Chinese, they said, well, um, I came back to Australia. And then they said, well, look, you one stage you learnt Russian, and uh, we've got an opening in Russia. So uh, why don't you go to Russia? So I had ended up in Russia. And um, that was, again, one of the better things I've done in life. It was a good time. Russia was opening up, and I like Russian people. And so... Uh, the only problem was that by the end of this, they were getting involved in Vietnam. Mm. And I knew from my China experience that uh, something pretty horrible was going to happen. Mm -hmm. they, the Chinese would, the uh, Vietnamese would fight to the end. Right. And B, that um, uh, they'd end up with a messy situation with China. Mm -hmm. So uh, I decided to resign. And uh, which meant I had to find another job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, in the process of resigning, I got involved with uh, Rupert Murdoch, of all things. He was back in Australia. He was in Australia starting up his media empire. And in those days, people don't realize this. Murdoch was a progressive. Rupert was progressive. Mm -hmm. And because I'd resigned in protest of the Vietnam War, he thought I was a great guy. <coughs> and he gave me pages in his newspapers to write about the Vietnam War. So that got me involved and, and to write about Russia and China. Okay. So that got me involved with media, which is also another useful thing to have in life. So uh, the only problem was I didn't have a job. <laughs> okay. okay. Because you weren't being paid to do any of this. This was just you doing this. You weren't yeah. being paid for what you wrote into his paper? Uh, well, no. Obviously, they didn't pay you very much. Okay, they didn't pay, okay. But I was doing it while well, I was doing other things. Right, yeah. okay. You know, the, other, the other things actually were quite interesting. I decided that uh, <clears throat> since I couldn't get to China, and because staying in Russia was... We became KGB-based. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. The KGB was really tough on foreigners then, even though I like Russia very much. Um, so the only place to go was Japan. And if you know Japanese, if you know Chinese, uh, Japanese is not so difficult. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's quite easy. And uh, so I decided I'll go to Japan. First move was resigning and going to university to do a study the economy of Japan, economics and so on. And then to get a job in Japan using the study of economics and so on. And Rupert Burnock, uh, well, he, he didn't know it at the time, but his, uh, his manager in Australia, a guy, guy subsequently became quite prominent in Australian politics, okay. uh, called John Menager. Mm -hmm. uh, they needed a correspondent in Japan I had a little bit of the writing background by this time, so please uh, take the job. And this became uh, this is a paying job this time. Oh yeah, yeah okay, well paying, well paying job with okay. accommodation, right, and status. Okay, and a wonderful opportunity. I mean, Japan was really riding high in those days. Right. Well, you were right there. after the, after the Olympics. Right after the Olympics, the 1964 Olympics, they finished. Well, so you're talking about that Vietnam. So you're talking about the 70s. 
No. The late 90s, the late 60s, early 70s, yeah. This is early Japan, 70s, right. Uh, was here. China was just opening up. Japan was opening up. Right. And it's a long story, but I got involved in the ping pong diplomacy mm -hmm. of 1971 while I was working as the correspondent right. for the Australian newspaper. And that was a, an experience. <laughs> I can imagine. Ping pong. Uh, actually, Australia, it was so anti-China that it uh, was the only country that refused to join the ping pong diplomacy. So I went out and uh, found the ping pong players and said, uh, hey guys, would you like to go to China? Oh yeah, why not? Says, okay, I'll organize it. So I sent a telegram to China, say, hey, I've got a team of Australian ping pong players here, ready to go. And away we went. Okay. <laughs> and I finally got to China, which to me was a very big thing because I'd mm -hmm. been I spent years learning Chinese, you know, and you, you want to use the language. So away we went, and then China opened up, so I got in there a few more times. Delegation and the thing. But it was a bad time in China. It was the Cultural Revolution, mm -hmm. which uh, was really pretty, pretty bad. Much worse than people realize, actually. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was very happy to be back in Japan. And big things were happening in Japan. You were, were you around? I came in 74. Oh, well. Okay. But I was, still, I was still in the boom time. I mean, it was still, yeah. they were making. Bowling alleys and tennis courts everywhere. Yeah. They were buying everything in the world. And yeah, no, Australians were mad at them. Japan is number one. <laughs> That's and right. The Japanese really believed it. You know, That's they right. They were going to take over That's the right. world. That's right. And the Americans believed it. They sure did. That they were going to take over the <laughs> well, world. Well, everyone did. Everyone did. And Australia they, uh, did. The Americans People, were getting pretty angry They were getting about scared. It. They yeah. were burning um, radios and, well, like and bashing are, cars. Like you are today with China, yeah. It never stopped. It's one after the next. Uh, Jeez, isn't that anyway, no, that, but you know, Japan was the, the uh, flavor of the month. That's right. So it was a great time to be there. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, so I had four, five good years, mm -hmm. really good years, and met a wonderful woman and, and started to have a family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a, eventually had a change of government. Now, now, don't tell anyone this, but <laughs> as a result of my meeting these ping-pong players, and that was an accident, China became the flavor of the month in Australia. And the government which had opposed the ping-pong diplomacy mm -hmm. got thrown out. So the guys, as a result, the good guys mm -hmm. got in. <laughs> and they remembered who I was. So the good guys, or one of them anyway, right. <laughs> said, hey, come and work in Australia, come and work in the government. And that's how you got involved with the Australian government? So that's how I got involved with the, yeah, one thing leads to another, you never know. Lance, I've got, you know, I don't have to teach you about <laughs> life, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, you I have a lot you can teach me. I just tell you, one thing always leads, the, the clue in, the, in good, hard, what is it, Korean or whatever it is, right. is hang loose. Because one thing always leads to another, another which right. leads to another. Another, right. And, and keep your, but you have to be open to it too. Oh, that's what that, because that, of, that's what's involved in hanging loose. That's right. You that's know, oh, that's what. Okay, yeah, keeping I yourself you. educated. Right, right. Keeping yourself available. Right. right. Never closing off options. Mm. 
Anyway, I had this option to go back to Australia to work in the government, and that was very interesting. I, met some, I was in the Prime Minister's department, and I met some good people. So what was, what was your position? What were you called? I was an advisor to the government, yeah. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, what they call it. Uh, that sounds good. <laughs> it was a little unit, strategy okay. unit. Mm -hmm. That they yeah. made up just so that you could do it. Not just for me. Oh, was just four, oh, they were doing other, four okay. other, four or five other guys mm -hmm. that they liked. Right. Mm -hmm. So we were in this strategy unit, but unfortunately, <laughs> they didn't listen to our advice, so the government collapsed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a guy called uh, Whitlam, Gough Whitlam. It was a very famous story actually. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a bit left wing. CIA moved in, one thing led to another. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he didn't hang loose enough, put it that way. <laughs> he got a little bit too tight. <laughs> and uh, so he was out of a job and so was I. <laughs> okay. But, but there was always Japan, mm -hmm. okay? And I said, if I go back to Japan, something, something good will happen. And sure enough, I had the uh, outline, manuscript of a book called The Japanese Tribe. I decided to, in those days, everybody wanted to know what are the Japanese? Who are they? What are they doing? And I said, eh, it's simple. It's a big tribal society. And uh, so I published that book, and the book took off. So um, the university started to look at me. And uh, I got a good job at Sophia University. You know Sophia? My son, two of my sons graduated from Sophia. Okay, well. From Jochi. If, I, if they'd been a bit earlier, I could have been teaching. That would have been wonderful. But anyway, I got a job there teaching economics. Okay. But that's when they had the, the small campus. Because, yeah. you know, they've built a brand new, they've gotten rid of the small campus. Now there was by the TV station. What TV was that? Asahi TV? Nihon Terebi. Nihon Terebi was right next to it, the campus you had. And that was for the foreigners. But now they're, main, they're right there at Yatsuya at the main campus. They built everything there, and it's really beautiful. Yeah, well, talking of TV, I used to go on that TV a bit. And there were, you know, there were, there were a lot of interview programs interviewing foreigners. Mm -hmm. Foreigners used to be pretty important in those days, as you remember. I do. Anyway, we used to go on TV, and hey, guess who was the cat caster for my TV program? Who was that? A cute little lady called. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I, I know who it was. Uh, um, Nihon Terebi. Um, Yoike. Yoike. Oh, Yoike. I was thinking about someone else. Okay, wow. Hmm. So uh, <laughs> we became friends too. But anyway, no, the TV helped. The book helped. But in particular, I got on the lecture circuit. Now, in those days, the lecture circuit went from one end of Japan to another with about 100 stops in between, okay? And uh, by this time, I spoke fairly good Japanese. There were very few foreigners in those days who could mm -hmm. speak Japanese. That's true. And uh, which meant that, uh, well, uh, the lecture circuit was open, open season. And I reckon in this, this is just one lecture after, after another, after, while I was holding down the, uni the university job at Sophia, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And then I got offered a job um, as the president of a Yemen, another university called Tama. Tama University, okay. it's a specialist business university. Okay. And um, meanwhile, the lecture circuit's still going on. And I'm being asked to write more books about Japan. So did you write more books? I, I did, yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not very good. Okay, but how many total would you well, say you wrote? about six, yeah. Six books, okay. Oh, there was one good one. It took me two days. And what they do, it's called a tie-down book. And I recommend it highly to anyone who wants to get into it, if you can <laughs> get into it. They book you into a hotel for a weekend, Mm -hmm. Food, drink, everything you like, with a famous commentator, Japanese. And there are quite a few of them, right? Mm -hmm. And they, so you just sit there for two days and talk into a microphone about Japan and answer his questions and it's backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. They give it to a very good editor, oh. pulls it all together, it comes out as a very neat little uh, paperback. Right. Sold 17,000 copies. 17,000 17, copies. 17,000 copies. <laughs> just two days of two. doing, just coming off the top of your head. Right. But well edited, yeah. Wow. But it was, in if anything, you know, I think it was one of the better books, yeah. Because you're talking freely and the other guy's talking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're bouncing ideas off each other. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it if you want to get into the, the book game. Okay. Wow. Anyway, uh, but you have to speak Japanese. Right. Anyway, this went on, and then um, the president thing was uh, six years. Mm -hmm. And by this time, I made friends with a, a guy called Nakajima Minio. And he was an expert on China, too. Mm -hmm. And he, we talked a lot about China, and he actually read my book, and he liked one particular part of the book, actually. And he was quite smart. It was. He was, he was fairly right-wing, and I, I was progressive, but that didn't matter. He realized that this part was important. So he said, look, I'm, I want to set up a university, a new university, where they, all the teachings in English. This was the beginning of a thing called Kokusai Ka in mm -hmm. Japan. Do you mm -hmm. remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Kokusai Ka, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. The uh, internationalization of Japan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, learning in English became the flavor of the month, and this is it. Who's there <laughs> tasting the ice cream? <laughs> so I just landed a, one of the very interesting jobs. What had happened during the, uh, the bubble, the boom, the economic boom, uh, quite a few American universities had come in and set up branches. They thought they could make it. <laughs> they sure did. And uh, when the bubble collapsed, of course, <laughs> they, they did couldn't too. make it. They did too. That's right. Well, no, they couldn't make it. So they were up for sale. So we were able to get one, a good one, up in Akita. Okay. Uh, and um, we offered to come in and create an English-speaking university mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with Japanese management, which is the key. Mm -hmm. Better than being run by foreigners, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you then had government backing and support. So we set up this university where all the teaching was in English, and uh, I stayed there for six years. And it's gone on to be 
It's sitting there as the number one university in Japan. It still is. It's right called now. Akita International Akita, University. Yes. Yeah. Where's it located? Up in Akita. 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 Yes, mm. of course. Long way. Even though it's a long way out, out of north. the boondocks. Right. Um, the idea uh, took on, mm -hmm. and uh, away we went. One of the good things about it is all teachings in English. So far, it's open for foreigners mm -hmm. who want to study in Japan. I mean, there's no way you can study in a Japanese university unless your Japanese is perfect, okay? The teaching in English is good. It was up in the boondocks, so everybody lived together in, in a big dormitory like mm -hmm. this with one foreigner and one Japanese to each room. One foreigner, one Japanese in each room? To, to each room. Okay. So the foreigner's not speaking Japanese, <laughs> but the Japanese are speaking English. English, right. So here's a wonderful way to learn English. That's okay? true. Yeah. And you know they'd become friends. Mm -hmm. If they weren't friends, they'd move to another room. But <laughs> anyway, that university took off. By this time, I was getting um, very much involved in the Japanese countryside. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I used to do a lot of mountain climbing. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I first met you, Lance, That's I right. we talked about it. We sure did. I just said, and the, my my woman was into it too. Mm -hmm. And we go up every weekend and climb these. 2,000 meter, 3,000 meter. How things. many times have you climbed Mount Fuji? Look, forget about Fuji. I know, but I want to ask, how many times have you done that? Yeah, you only do it once. Okay, because I haven't done it once. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I stood at the fifth station, talked to people coming down, and only two or three said they did it more than once. Everyone said they'd never do it again. Well, no, it's, yeah. it's, it's not all that difficult, but it's not, I very, know, it's 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 not, not very beautiful. It isn't, no. There's no vegetation. There's nothing. It's just all uh, volcanic the, ash. Just the other side of Mount Fuji is a place called the Southern Alps, mm -hmm. and that's a string of 3,000 meters just below Mount Fuji, and they've got, they have it, they have vegetation. And it is they, beautiful. Uh, they have snow, and they have a lot of uh, excitement, mm -hmm. and we used to do a lot of that, and... Um, then one day the kids start to come along, and when you've got kids, you can't climb these mountains. So I discovered this area out here, the Borsal Peninsula, south of Tokyo. Now, mm -hmm. people just didn't know about it. Right. They still don't know about it they very still much. Know. There's a few. And yet, it's some here. beautiful country right on the right. ocean, right. only an hour from Tokyo. Right. And uh, we bought some land. And I know. How much of this mountain do you actually own? Where I am now? Yes. Well, you can buy a whole mountain if you want. You know, I know, but how much of this do you own? Because <laughs> when, when I first met you, you may not remember this. Yeah. <clears throat> On your property, you showed me the area. <clears throat> you marked out 500 subo. Oh, yeah. And you were going to sell it to me. You said, Lance, you need to get some land here. You've been here forever. Get some land. And you were charging me only this. You were going to give it to me like that. That was a genuine offer. I know. I believe you. I believe you. Because you I said, ended up having to sell it to somebody else. I know. I'm, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. There's no way I could manage it. Yeah. And there's no way you could do that. That's right. Not <laughs> at that time, because so, yeah. I had, my kids were young then. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I knew what I could do. You have to know what you're, what you're able to do. Mm. But I, I really appreciate you for that, because I knew you were sincere. Mm. You told me that. But you were just spare the moment. But, 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 uh, <laughs> no, at that stage, I had two mountains. Which one were yeah. we talking about? The, this was probably, I think it was close, no, it was, it was the lower area of here. No. That wasn't it? So was that the other area? Mm. Moved a long way from them. Okay, okay. Okay, what, what had a kiwi farm? A kiwi farm on okay. it? Okay, it had a kiwi farm on it. That was the original. Okay. Probably. I discovered that kiwis grow beautifully out here. And so I started planting kiwis all over the place. And that's the family home, and we still have it. You still have yeah. it, okay. 
But there was another place I bought during the land boom. Mm -hmm. uh, another mountain. The mountains, right. mountains were very cheap. <laughs> in those days. Even in the land boom, they were cheap. Because you have that all those cabins. How many cabins? Yeah, are, that's right. That's how many cabins? How many cabins? That was the one you were gonna. I, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, how yeah. many cabins do you have over there? Oh, we had about so, twenty. I think. About twenty cabins. Yeah. Right, a tennis court. And a couple of houses. And you had a whole bunch of stuff over there. Yeah, yeah. My goodness. Yeah, well, it could have all been yours and that. Right. <laughs> if I had over, only, only if I'd been on door number three. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I decided that being on the ocean was a thing. And that's why it's beautiful. From here, you have this view. Oh. So from there, right, the uh, the uh, the cabins, mm -hmm. which have been turned into a sort of Airbnb operation. Yes, yes. Um, and from there, I've moved to here, mm -hmm. and keeping the Kiwi farm. Okay, but here is another mountain, which uh, we've got about four or five houses, mainly rented out to Japanese and mm -hmm. uh, foreigners. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is—I don't want anything more land, so I've had enough. <laughs> I guess two mountains would be kind of enough. <laughs> well, you know, you've got to bring in the, the development, man. It's, big, uh, it's not like you got to stay loose. You got to be loose. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, no, I've always enjoyed. You've got to bring in bulldozers. You, know, <laughs> uh, you got to plant trees. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's—it is labor-intensive. It can be, if you want to. Brain-intensive. That's true too. You got to plan the whole thing. That's right. Anyways, but it's, a, but it's a lot of fun, yeah. it's mm -hmm. constructive. Mm -hmm. Now, in the meantime, yeah, um, I've kept up writing. Um, so, you, so what's your latest book? The latest book? Yeah, you say you keep up writing. I'm, come on, I'm putting you on the spot now. What are you writing about now? Economics, I'm sure. No, look, you, you, <laughs> nobody reads books nowadays. Well, that's true. You know what they read? That's true. They read blogs. Podcasts. That's right. That's, that's what right. you're doing. Come that's on. right. That's right. I'm, I'm in your it's game. all digitized now. I'm in your game now. That's right. So you're doing? Oh, that's what you're actually doing. It? Yeah. So you're recording. So I put out a good, a, I think, a, a good blog. Yeah. It's, um, um, it's called Between f Four Nations, Four Languages, and Four Professions. That's the name of it. Yeah. The blog. Okay. So give me the blog name again, one more time, so people can get this. Between, f okay, between four languages, four professions, and four nations. Nations. Wow. By Gregory Clark. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, it's my life story. Life story. Okay. It's your memoir. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, I've given you in 30 minutes, but sorry. Sure you have. But I appreciate <laughs> it. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, that, we got a lot in there. We sure did, didn't we? Pretty compact. <laughs> There must be a few things I forgot. Oh, I forgot about the KGB in Russia, man. You want to talk about that a little it's bit? It's on my blog. It's on your blog? Okay. That's good. That's good. That's a good segue to your blog. Oh, I know. That was, I love uh, it. That was really hairy, man. When they, oh, wow. When they decided to put their hooks into you. And they tried to with you. You see, what had happened? I'd gone to Russia. I only had a little bit of Russian. Mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. But uh, I was determined, you know, I had this odd thing about languages. And I love language. I like language. Every language opens a new world to you. you know? mm -hmm. Chinese is one. And um, at the moment, it's Spanish, Spanish actually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I've found a lovely lady called Carolina from Peru. Your wife. And she she's really uh, looking out for me. Where'd she go? Where's she? Carolina. She should be offering us. 
Carolina. She's gone to her room. Okay. Anyway. Um, so then when I got to Russia, I said, I'm going to learn Russian. Now, that's, of course, just raw meat bait for the KGB. The moment you, because you have to meet Russians. And I had a one way of meet, great way of meeting Russians. I was living near the uh, university. Mm -hmm. And you'd go to the student uh, restaurants in the evening. Mm -hmm. And Russians really are very sociable. You are not allowed to sit by yourself. You're not allowed no, to sit by yourself. No, it's unsociable. They insist you, insist you have to sit with other people. So I'd sit with a bunch of students. Man, within five minutes, conversation was underway, man. And we were talking hard yeah, politics. Right. You know, and they were basically, they were defending. Gorbachev was at the same university with his wife just three years before I was in those student restaurants. <laughs> and the whole liberation thing, was the just whole... Started. was started. I know where he got his uh, glasnost and the opening up of the uh, mm -hmm. Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. It came from those student restaurants. Mm. I can tell you it was a very, uh, very invigorating time. But the KGB out there is watching through the, 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 the restaurant windows, you know? And eventually they move in on you. Mm -hmm. So that was unpleasant. But I had two years, great years, and mm -hmm. there's a limit to what, when you're a diplomat, there's a limit to what they can do. Right, right, right. Although they, they do like to target diplomats. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they, I look back on that as, um, you know, Russian forces you to think about a lot of things, and not just politics. Much more than Japan does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of depth to Russian culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course now it extends across the whole world, you know, in Soviet ruined days. That's mm. right. So it's a good, it was a good education, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Japan, Japan I like, it's a very unusual culture. Mm -hmm. And explaining it as I tried to do in my book, The Japanese okay. Tribe, you know. Right. Why are they so honest? To me that's the the greatest attraction and the greatest mystery. Why are they so honest? Why are they so honest? You know, it's the old story. You leave a, a purse loaded on, on a restaurant table. And you get it back. And you get it back. And somebody goes to a lot of trouble to get it to you. That's right, they right. It's happened to me. What, how, how many times has this happened to you? So, so many times I can't count now. Yeah. Well, and, I, and so many times I don't even worry about it. I never, I stop. The first couple of times you worry, then after a while you expect it. You know it's going to come. But didn't they used to do this, Gregory? I just want to be sure. When I first came here in 74, it was still the practice because paying your taxes by cash, everything was cash. There was no credit at all in the 70s. They didn't even consider it. And they didn't have layaway, none of that. A lot of times when people, especially when it came tax time, would have millions of yen. And sometimes they'd forget the bags of money. So if you found the bag of money, gave it to the Koban, it was tradition, I believe, that if, they f if the person came back to claim it, they would automatically, just by custom, give you 10% of it. Am I right? Yeah. They would give you 10%. They didn't have to. They wouldn't force it, but it was almost expected. And that was one thing that yeah. got people to give the money back. It was very attractive. The honesty, the courtesy. Mm -hmm. But of course it means that, you know, it's not, as, as we say, challenging. As Russia or, or China. Mm. Or any other country, for that matter. Mm. Not just... But um, 
So there are pluses and minuses. Mm -hmm. But basically, yeah, no, I was very curious about the culture. So I came up with this theory, the tribal theory. It's like tribe. In a tribe, everybody's honest, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Automatically. That's right, yeah, automatically, right. Yeah. They say they belong to the same group. Yeah. That's but, uh, no, that's, you know, it fitted together. That's why Wadi Wadi was so powerful in the 70s. Yeah. Up to the 70s, then they started yeah. to dissipate, but they still teach it yeah. in elementary schools. Yeah. The kids still have to think we. The group exclusiveness and so That's on. right. It all fits together. And the Japanese uh, like to have that explained to them, right? Because you have to explain the origins of it. It just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't fall out of the sky. Right. And uh, you know, it was a natural result of the isolation. I was going to say that, over yeah. 200 years of isolation. But then you have the problem, well, wait a minute, if they're isolation, how do they get so modern, you know? How come they're building all those factories? So you've got to fit all that together too. Mm. But, if, uh, but your book explains all that. Well, yeah. But it says, you know, there are problems. And of course the problems are coming out now. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chinese are just... The speed, the speed at which they move because of that. They're, right. they're too slow. Right. Yeah. Didn't matter in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. uh, but it matters now. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, but it's not, it's not manufacturing now, it's, uh, it's all uh, digital. Right. What about robotics? Cyber. Isn't Japan mm. still the leader in robotics? Robotics is a form of, no, it's, 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 it's A, it's one of them, but I mean, every, every, the Chinese and the Americans are all doing pretty good too. Okay. But robotics was a form of, if it's manufacturing, they're good, yeah. But if you come into, move into the area of, uh, Intellectual, oh, oh yeah. creativity, creativity, right. yeah, ideas, yeah, that's right. Um, no, they didn't invent the, the internet, for example. Right. As U.S. Why didn't we do that? Right. Didn't invent Google. Right, right, right. A lot of things. Or they didn't eBay, invent. or a lot of stuff they did. And now what's going on in China? Yeah, they mm -hmm. didn't invent that. Well, China doesn't. I don't know that Chinese. I mean, historically they've invented a lot, but I mean a lot of the recent stuff they just took. <laughs> <laughs> just copied it. No, no, no. no. I've got. Um, you don't think so? Uh, that was a. Th they're very intelligent people, mm -hmm. and the f five thousand years of civilization apparently accounts for a lot. Yeah. And um, they've come up with a model of government which is is, is not stupid. Mm -hmm. In other words, you you educate an elite. That's right. The uh, problem with the present guy wants to live, live be there forever. So. Mm -hmm. But before, when they changed over every five years or so, that was smart. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. right. Well, isn't going isn't Russia going to run into that with Putin? Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I quite like Putin actually. Well, Putin's only listen. Putin's a day younger than me. <laughs> One day. He's born the same That's year. Right. Same year, October 7th. I'm October 6th. So he's open to a lot of young ideas. Yeah. What I like about him, no other leader, he will sit there for an hour, two hours, answering anybody's questions. No matter what it is. No matter what they are. I mean, compare that with Trump. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Compare with our own leaders now. Right, you know? right. If you get them to a certain sit, sit, way to get sit there for more than five minutes, you're lucky. Mm -hmm. He could, and he answers fluently. And generally, he's got a grip of all the facts. Oh no, he's 
He's not a bad leader. Mm. Mm. He'd be hard to replace. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think he's made sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he just has, has to put up with a lot of trouble. Mm. Mm. And they do it quite well. But uh, no, the alliance, finally, the Russians and the Chinese basically don't mix. I know. It's oil and water. I know, know that. But they've finally been pushed together thanks to a, a strange American desire to, to dislike well, both Russia and China at the same time. <laughs> I mean, under Kissinger, they were smart. They just had one enemy, Russia, and they sucked up to, to China with, the, with, with what was the... I was part of it. The, the, the ping pong diplomacy oh, right. was, in fact, the Kissinger diplomacy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was, let's go on side with China, and then we'll be stronger against Russia. And then that, that worked out good, and they That's helped China a lot. And then China got too strong, so they, <laughs> so they, they went said, okay, well, the enemy is, is now the enemy number one is China. Okay. And they, but they, they didn't uh, get Russia on the side properly. So they've kept Russia as an enemy too. So the two of them said, okay, well, if we're going to be enemies. You might as well be friends. So they've linked up. And now they face a monster. You know, and there's no way they're going to. And they've lost out in Afghanistan. Afghanistan was a, the, the linchpin. People don't realize because it fronts onto both Russia and China. Mm -hmm, China right. right between the two. And they're going to have a great time there from now on. Yeah. You won't be able to stop them. My goodness. Gregory, thank you for your time. I'm not going to take any more of it. <laughs> make sure people, I want to make sure they go to your podcast. It's not your podcast, it's a blog. Your it's blog. A, people yeah. should check out your blog. Yeah, GregoryClark.net. Okay. Yeah. GregoryClark.net. Yeah. And they will get on that. And I hope you get a lot of subscribers and continue to stay as loose as you have been <laughs> so that what comes along. And thank you for allowing me to come up to your place. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. I suddenly realized we've covered a lot of We lot have of covered a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to have to do any editing at all for this yeah. on tape. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you click like, subscribe, and just remember, it's all on loan. Keep reaching for the stars, and you're too blessed to be stressed.